Providing insight into healthcare from a multidisciplinary approach, this is the Fostering Wellness Podcast. I'm registered massage therapist Matt Wells, a rehab professional, joined by my co-host, Joel Foster, a psychotherapist and mental health professional. Let's get better together. Welcome, folks, back to the Fostering Wellness Podcast. I'm Matt, joined as usual with my co-host, Joel Foster. Hello. So I hope everybody's doing well. Um, For this episode, we're just going to be doing a continuation of our previous series that we started called A Quick Look. And last time we did this, I covered um, osteoarthritis and Joel covered general anxiety disorder. And this time we're doing uh, just a couple of different scenarios. And so... On this one, I'm going to be covering uh, sciatica, a really common problem with a lot of people, and Joel's going to be covering bipolar disorder. Mm-hmm. But uh, before we get too much into the weeds there, how you been, Joel? Good, good. I've yeah. been all right, yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, I'd like to add that little note, Matt, that, you know, we're going to be... I like this episode because it kind of sheds a light on um, some, you know, disorders, diagnoses, whatever you want to call them. Um, but, again, emphasize that we are, you know... Just two fellas with some experience and a couple pieces of paper, you know. Yep. Um, we're not the be-all, be end-all experts on these topics. So yes. uh, while it's interesting to us and we're going to have an awesome discussion about it, um, if you want to know more, reach out to, you know, doctors or do your own research. Or even encourage all kinds of things like that, right? Yeah, or even get in contact with us uh, if you have any questions about the stuff that we talk about because... Uh, you know, while we're not doctors and supreme beings of knowledge with all this stuff, we know we do know some means? stuff, right? Yeah. Uh, well, you would think. Doctors. We love doctors. Yeah, we love doctors. We love, doctors. We love most doctors. Um, the doctors good ones. take care of us. But, the good uh, <laughs> <laughs> Not like Dr. Evil. We don't like Dr. Evil. Um, but yeah, even reach out to us if you have any questions. Uh, we'd love to answer some questions at the podcast eventually. But yeah. Uh, yeah, how's your week been, Joel? Yeah, yeah. My week has been good. It's been an interesting week for me. Um, where to start? Uh, I kind of, you know, when I came in and sat down with you, Matt, I said that, you know, I had stories to tell. I didn't say that, but that's, that, that was... All sorts know, of fables. Fables and whatnot. <laughs> uh, I've been having, like, in, uh, interesting conversations with one of my co-workers. Um, he's a fellow who's very mindful and spiritual and, and just been having like really interesting conversations. And one of the conversations we had, uh, I think he brought it up, was on synchronicity. And so synchronicity is an album by the police. That's that's what I knew it as. Oh, yeah. I knew it as okay. an album by the police. I was picturing some sort of like psychological term that I wasn't familiar with. It is. Okay. <laughs> and yeah. so I But I didn't know. I hadn't heard of it before. Or like... Like, I had heard of it before, but I didn't really know much about it. Right. And so, um, for anybody that's wondering, Every Breath I Take, I believe, is on Synchronicity. Nice. If you want Classic. to look it up. It's yeah. great. Great too. Anywho, <laughs> so that's what I thought of it. And my coworker was telling me, you know, it's actually a, a psychological concept. And so, it was coined by uh, Carl Jung, which is a right. famous psychologist. Yeah. Um, he was the... He, like, started psychoanalysis, right, or something like that? Or he was, like, one of the progenitors of One of the, yeah, he, he worked, um, 
you know, he was he was a, a protege of uh, Sigmund Freud. Right. Yeah. Right. And so Sigmund Freud yeah. is the father of psychoanalysis, we'll say. Right. And uh, so Carl Jung kind of built on that work. Mm-hmm. And so this is one of his concepts. And so what it is, is basically uh, events happen in your life. Things happen in your life that seem just too coincidental. Like they seem like they're, you know, syncing up. Synchronicity. Mm-hmm. Right. So, for example... Um, you know, you happen to be jogging and on a path with nobody on it and you trip and you fall and you break your ankle. And just as you trip and fall, somebody comes around the corner and it's a, a like a doctor or something like that. Right. And it's like, oh, okay. hey, like, I just saw what happened. Like, I can help you. You know, right. it kind of just like lines up. And so there's, you know, a, a spiritual context too where uh, people use it as like some sort of... Um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, uh, evidence that there's some divine being or some, you mm-hmm. know, plan laid out for us. And right. So it's so, so really interesting. And so, you know, I, I didn't really, I thought actually as a lie, I was about to say I didn't think much about it, but I did because that's what I do. I love thinking about stuff like that. Right. And so we just kept finding like weird things happened. Like the number 525 came up a couple times um, the number 81 came up a couple times, um, which is how many verses are in the Tao Te Ching, which is another, it's a spiritual book we were talking about. Like, it just like a whole lot of things lined up. I went to Subway for lunch that evening and the police were on the radio. Okay, yeah. I was talking about, you know, turkey breasts and the guy behind me ordered turkey breasts. And I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm like reading too much into this or something. <laughs> like, this is too much. Anyway. I remember last week we were talking about what I was going to do, and I wasn't sure. Um, So I guess to touch on that a little bit, when Matt and I had this discussion last week, what I wanted to do was highlight, um, uh, you know, a a mental disorder that, a psychological disorder that is stigmatized. Mm -hmm. And I just kind of wanted to have an open discussion about it, define it a little bit, and bring some light to it. And so I, I was stuck between a couple. And so I landed on bipolar disorder, and I'll tell you why. But one of them we discussed was schizophrenia. And I can't remember what night it was. Um, one of the youth from the youth center that I worked on wanted to put on a movie. We got you know the option of putting on movies. And the movie they chose was called... Writing on the Wall, I believe. Okay. And this movie, and what it was about was this young teenager, I think, I didn't know too much about it, uh, who had schizophrenia. And, you know, I watched just, like, a touch of it, and it was, like, him, like, being diagnosed with it, and what that meant, and the stigma with it, and, you know, how people were judging him, and what that's like for somebody in high school, and it was, and I was like... And is this a sign? Like, is this synchronicity right here? You know, I'm going into the podcast and thinking about it. And so I was like, you know, maybe I'll do that. But then I was listening to a podcast today that said, you know, you kind of got to trust yourself and make decisions based on what you want. And and I was like, you know what? I don't know a whole lot about schizophrenia. Like, I know enough, Mm -hmm. right, to work with somebody. Um, But I I haven't worked with anybody with schizophrenia, diagnosed schizophrenia. Right. But I have worked with people and know people who have diagnosed bipolar disorder. Yeah. And I was like, you know what? Uh, I'm just going to 
choose that instead. And so then I was like, wait, was that podcast secretive? And so like that that was the spiral I had. And so it, it was an interesting week for me, Matt, where I, I don't know, I just kept thinking like these things were popping up and 100% reading too much into it. Well, you know, it's wild. Like <laughs> when you mentioned that you kind of chose your topic for today's uh, discussion based off of, I mean, what seemed to originate from your thoughts of like music from like uh what was it the police you said the police yeah yeah um writing on the wall is one of my favorite songs from a band called under oath oh okay <laughs> which the music video is about schizophrenia no it's not yeah is it i think so yeah i uh, i've watched well, it quite a few times and like thinking back like that's exactly what that is uh, or at least some sort of like mental illness sure but yeah and, and I wonder then, I don't, I don't know much about what that means, what that saying means. And I wonder if that's maybe just a common term for... There's one more thing. I gotta sure, say. sure. Because I, I just got to say this. Okay. Do you... This is getting really specific, yeah. folks. So me and Joel went to high school together and junior high together. We sure did. Uh, in junior high, yeah. in the cafeteria, do you remember the jukebox that was there? Oh, yeah. 100%. Writing on the Wall was a song that was on that. Really? Yeah. <laughs> Really? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. That is interesting. Yeah. And speaking of music, you know, before I get into the topic, um, one of the bands that you first introduced me to back in high school or junior high, I can't remember, Gojira. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're Hell coming yeah. up with a new album at the end of the month. Really good. Yeah. So far, the singles have been fire. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm really excited for it. And yeah. so you were the one that introduced, um, what was the song? Acuity. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Way back when. Such a good album. Yeah. The and Way of All uh, Flesh, I think. The Way of All Flesh, yeah. Wicked. Anyway, so that's... Bipolar you know, disorder. Yeah, so anyway, <laughs> bipolar disorder. Um, and so I'm going to uh, kick this off kind of like I did last time where I give, um, you know, I, I go back to the DSM-5 because that's, like I said before, you know, the diagnostic Bible for... Mental disorders. Right. And so, what I'll note again is that, you know, this is me discussing what's considered a disorder. You might have some of these symptoms. You might know somebody who has some of these symptoms. It, you might fall within the criteria. You might not. Again, always encourage if you have questions about if you want a diagnosis or you want to talk to a mental health professional about it, I encourage you to do so. Always. Um, but to get into, you know, the specifics, um, but bipolar disorder is a little bit more complex than just bipolar disorder. And so I'm going to focus on two types of bi bipolar disorder, bipolar disorder one and bipolar disorder two. Hmm. Um, and so just to give a brief little description of what each one is, bipolar disorder one um, involves episodes of mania. And so mania will come up in this discussion mania is um, described as you know extreme highs right and so you're i would imagine that some people have a basic understanding of what bipolar disorder is and usually it's described as you know as mood swings extreme highs and stream lows mm -hmm. people imagine you know somebody who switches on and off between a high and a low well people i think they use i don't know if if this is just an antiquated term, but it's at least like what you're describing, people would say like manic depressive. Yeah, well, that's what it used to be called. Right. But yeah, yeah, that's how it was defined. 
Um, and then they came up with the term bipolar disorder instead. Okay, so it's the evolution of... Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, and so, and because there's episodes of, of mania, and then there's episodes of depression, but not always the case. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of the difference between the two. So uh, with the bipolar disorder, one, mania is the, I guess, the main symptom, we'll say, okay. that you look for. Um, and so what they say uh, manic episodes look like is increased energy, racing thoughts, a decreased need for sleep, and a high or wired feeling. Um, and so basically it's it's been described as feeling, um, you know, you might have grandiose um, thoughts. Like uh, some people, you know, might think that they're, God, or that they've got a message from God that like delusions of grandeur, exactly right, right. and and you know so and, and then this cool. well God spoke to me and I got to save the world so I got to save the world and right. or you know I'm you know the fastest man alive I'm gonna prove it and mm-hmm. or I had some people like prepare themselves to become the next prime minister of Canada even though they have no experience they had no plan to do it previously and they were and it's like serious and they're like yeah, yeah I could do this. Not saying that no, you know, anybody can be the prime minister. I mean, many politicians have uh, <laughs> no experience. <laughs> so I encourage you, if you really want to be the prime minister, absolutely go for it. But that's just an example. Yeah. And so for bipolar disorder 2, um, the way it's described is that it involves depressive episodes and hypomania, which is a mild form of the mania. Okay. Um, and and so I, I guess if you're picturing, you know, the ups and downs kind of fit more into the stereotypical, I guess, um, what people would stereotype as bipolar disorder. Um, and so I want to note here this, again, going back to my main point of why I chose this, how often do you hear somebody just say, oh, that person's being bipolar or, you mm. know, when you get off the phone with... You know, your mother or your father, and you're like, well, they're being bipolar today right. just because they're, you know, irritable or, you know, they're in a bad mood or, right? Yeah. And, and, you know, they see like a switch or they were good this morning, they're not today, so it must be bipolar, right? Right. But when we talk about bipolar disorder, it's something that's sustained. And so, like, like with generalized anxiety disorder, the DSM-5 gives kind of that window of it's got to be so long before it gets diagnosed. But what's interesting about bipolar disorder is that sometimes the manic episodes can just run on and on and can last months. Um, And so then it's kind of hard to diagnose. Yeah. Right? And... This kind of ties in, I guess, again to my point about, you know, if you feel like you, you might be experiencing manic episodes, um, you know, you have these thoughts of grandeur, or, you know, or these grandiose thoughts or, or whatever it looks like for you, uh, reach out anyway, mm-hmm. you know. You might not be having the lows, the depressive lows that can also last a while, Yeah. right, that can also be extended. Um, and sometimes affects the diagnoses between bipolar 1 and bipolar 2, um, just because it's kind of hard to pinpoint. Um, 
But then, of course, the the hypomania that I was talking about, where it's a little lesser uh, in bipolar two, the mania is a little bit lesser. So, uh, typically, if you maybe experience months of that high, mm-hmm. it possibly bipolar one, right? Um, and so, thinking about <laughs> discussions we've had before, Matt, mm-hmm. about the boxes and the labeling and stuff like that. Um, one of the other stories I was going to tell, I worked with a client not too long ago, um, that was telling me their story about being diagnosed at you know, a very young age with uh, anxiety and depression. And, you know, with my, you know, I, I acknowledge I have biases and stuff like that. And, you know, what would it be like for me to be diagnosed at that age, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, but of course, in a therapeutic setting, you set your biases aside and you just, you know, ask, you know, what was that like for you? Yeah. Validating. Mm-hmm. It was validating, very validating, because it took the pressure off them. Um, they described it as, you know, being relieved of this thought and this idea that there was something that they were just acting wrong or that you know it gave like gave them something that was outside of their control we'll say right right um and it was very validating and so with this disorder bipolar generalized anxiety sort of like i talked about before um it can certainly be validating just to have that understanding of what's going on mm-hmm. right um, and i'll add on to that and say that it might not look the same for you as it would for others and so I'll just kind of run through quickly, Matt, um, you know, a couple of the diagnostic criteria, just so people ha- kind of have an idea. Um, so for bipolar one, some of them include increased talkativeness, uh, heightened self-esteem or grandiosity, decreased need for sleep, increased energy, goal-oriented activities or irritability, racing thoughts, decreased attention span, uh, increased risk-taking behaviors. And what you'll notice with some of those, Matt, like, for example, decreased attention span. Right. That could be a number of diagnoses. Yeah, there's definitely, sounds like there's a lot of overlap there with other things. Yeah, exactly. So I think they usually look for three, at least three. Okay. Um, and they have to be specific ones, too. Um, and so the, uh, bipolar 2, um, you got depressed mood, changes in sleep patterns, not necessarily... Um, like with bipolar one, a lack of need for sleep, mm-hmm. um, changes in eating patterns, lack of energy or fatigue, loss of interest and in ple- pleasure and activities he or she previously enjoyed. So that would be like similar to depression, right? It yeah, could sounds be like diagnosed it. as depression, right? Um, feelings of restlessness or slowing down, guilt or worthy worthylessness, um, and uh, difficulty concentrating or and suicidal thoughts. Um, so there's even overlap between the two. Th- exactly. So it would be pretty hard to pick that apart in many cases, I'd imagine. Yeah. And so, you know, mis- misdiagnoses happen, mm-hmm. right? Um, and the medication, um, lithium's a pretty popular medication for, I don't know a whole lot about medications, but that'll tell you how popular it is that lithium is like immediately the stands out. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot of adverse side effects with lithium as well. 
Okay. Um, and sometimes it can be suicidal thoughts and, and depressive episodes, funny enough. Oh, so you can even, and, like, exacerbate it in some it, cases. It, I don't know if it would. I don't want to speak to that, Matt, just because, you know, yeah. I, I wouldn't offer medication from, right. you know, a But the point is there can be adverse side effects. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, so it might bring you down. I think it's it's known to bring down the mania more than bringing up the depressive episodes, if that makes sense. Right, okay. Right? Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, uh, I mean, medication, uh, I'd, I'd certainly recommend checking into it mm-hmm. uh, at the very least. Um, there was um, Ellen Forney, I think her name is. Um, she did a, a TED Talk on bipolar disorder. And... Uh, she, uh, what's her, <laughs> Ellen Forney is her name, uh, and she laid out a, an acronym that she uses because she struggles with it, or struggled with it, and I think she said she's been stabilized, which is a term used because there's no uh, known cure for bipolar disorder. Right. If you're looking at it from a medical standpoint, there's no known cure, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's about stabilizing and finding a way to just live with it. Right. right, bring your really high highs down, bring your really low lows up. Yeah, and yeah. so um, she's been stabilized, I think she said, for 17 years. Um, but wow. It was a journey for her. Yeah. Right? And so <laughs> I, I got it here, Matt, because I wanted to share it because, it, it, you know, I remember when I watched it, it was something that was just like good advice pretty much for anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, but she used it to kind of help with her bipolar. And so it's called... Smedmerts. 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 You'll never forget it. Never forget it. Um, look it up. Uh, Ellen Forney. It, it'd even be good for you know, uh, anybody who just might be struggling with mental health uh, in general. Mm-hmm. Sleep, meds, eat, doctor, mindfulness, exercise, routine, tools, support system. Everybody got it? Don't need to say it again? Don't need to explain it? Perfect. They can rewind it. (laughs) Um, Yeah, rewind it and write it down. Because even just things like sleep, eat, mindfulness, exercise, routine, support system, that's just good advice in general. You know, it sounds like it checks off many of the boxes that we talk about with holistic health. You know, we have the biological side with exercise. We have the sociological side with support systems. We have the uh, psychological side with... uh, you know, mindfulness, mindfulness. and, uh, you know, we have medication to kind of round it all out and yeah. everything else. Like, yeah. yeah. And so it's about, you know, checking the sleeping patterns. You know, if you feel like you don't need sleep, then you know, check that, right? Yeah. Work with somebody, work with a professional, find a better way to bring yourself down so you can get that sleep because mm-hmm. it's going to be important. Because one of the things about bipolar disorder is that after running on a mania for a prolonged period of time, you're going to crash. Right. Right? Like, it'd be like anybody who's uh, running at 100% all the time. You're, you're eventually going to crash. Right? Question. Sure. Do you do you know if you can develop bipolar uh, disorder, either type 1 or type 2, throughout life? Or is that something that's, like, there from childhood, but it may just be diagnosed later? Yeah. Great question, Matt. Um, well, thank you. Typically, <laughs> like, like most mental mental health disorders they don't really know what the causation is yeah uh, they can kind of guess and talk about 
I, I did hear a stat. I think people who have parents who have been diagnosed with bipolar disorder are 10 times more likely to also be diagnosed with bipolar disorder. Right. So they think there may be a genetic component, mm-hmm. but they haven't nailed it down yet. Okay. Um, and so then also the environmental factors. I mean, you think of, you know, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, right? Um, typically that's brought on by a traumatic experience, mm-hmm. right? Um, not necessarily, there, and there might be genetics tied into that as well, but basically in long, because um, it's not short, um, it could be a number of things that cause uh, bipolar disorder. Yeah. And so even thinking about, you know, diagnoses around ADHD is a pretty popular diagnosis mm-hmm. that um, either gets misdiagnosed or diagnosed late just because of the age of the person right. being. You think about children being diagnosed with ADHD, it might not come until later in their life because they just present as somebody who's energetic or, mm-hmm. right? And if you think about what a mania looks like, right? I, I don't know what the stats are on, on children and bipolar disorder. Um, typically, I've only known adults and worked with adults um, that have bipolar disorder diagnoses. Um, so I, I, I'm not 100% sure, Matt, but I, I, I can't say that I would rule out the thought that it could develop later. Right. Okay. Or at least present later, maybe. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, um, you know, I could, you know, <laughs> go on and on, but I, <laughs> I, I hope that's a good synopsis of what bipolar disorder one and two are. Um, certainly, again, you know, any questions, we'd, we'd love to hear from you. Mm-hmm. Um, but, a, but again, yeah, uh, oh, sorry, Matt. Oh, no, say? I was just going to say, it's interesting, like, um, just thinking about how stigmatized like bipolar disorder is along with like a number of other ones like yeah. well like you said like you're being so bipolar that type of thing yeah. um when it comes to treating bipolar disorder uh you know the smedmert smedmerts smedmerts um, <laughs> you know mindfulness is mentioned there yes and I'm trying to like put myself in the shoes of somebody who has bipolar disorder which is obviously very difficult <laughs> sure but um for when someone's like operating at such like a high level of mania and you ask them to practice mindfulness when they're having delusions of grandeur, yeah. like how can those two things like reconcile? Because where you believe that you are beyond your station of a human being and you tell them, be aware of yourself. Yeah. It's like, well, I am, I'm God. I'm God. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. So I can imagine that would be really a big like hill to climb for a lot of people. Yeah, and, and that's why it's medmerts and not just M. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know exactly. what I mean? There, there's other factors that tie in. So, like, a good social support might help with grounding you right. in, in that way. Um, you know, you, you don't want to kind of be forceful about it, but mm-hmm. certainly challenging those thoughts. Yeah. Softly challenging. Yeah. Right? Point out little inconsistencies in their story. Sure, exactly. Right? In, in a in a caring manner. Yeah. You know, you, you're not, you don't not want like to gotcha. somebody. Yeah. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha journalism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But, uh, yeah, look it up, uh, her TED Talk, Ellen Forney. It was really interesting, I have to say. Really cool. Cool. Um, but anyway, I'm going to throw it over to you, Matt, and I want to hear about what you have to say. Yeah, so sciatica. 
Um, I'm pretty sure most people have heard this term before. I'm assuming you have, Joel. Yeah, and yeah. so I think I mentioned this even the first time you talked about it. Like, I, I've heard of it, yeah. and I know people who say they have it. I'm not, you know, I trust that they have it. I don't right. know. Yeah, yeah. I have no other reason, but I don't really know what it is. Yeah. Okay. So I guess we could start off with like what a definition would be for sciatica. And again, like I'm going to preface this the same way that Joel prefaced his, uh, his description of bipolar disorder in that I'm not a doctor, but uh, I do have a good amount of experience with people who have had sciatica and, you know, obviously that's what my training is in the physical realm. Um, so... Uh, sciatica is a very interesting one. Okay. It's <laughs> I hate using these terms, but you can have somebody with true sciatica or false sciatica. Okay. Um, and the reason why I don't like using those terms, I'll talk a bit about later. But as for like what sciatica is, it's essentially a a radicular pain uh, down through the sciatic nerve. Um, for those of us that don't know what radicular yes so radicular <laughs> is uh, so you picture where the sciatica nerve innervates which is in the spine so uh, the spinal nerves of l4 l5 which is like lumbar spine lower back okay. the bottom two and then there's the uh, s1 s2 and s3 nerve roots so okay. all five of those nerve roots bundle together and then become the thickest and widest nerve of the body the sciatica or the sciatic nerve yeah and that goes down through the bottom part of the lower back and past the hips and glutes and then down through the back of the leg okay. where it branches off into the common peroneal nerve and the tibial nerve behind the knee. So then that splays down into the foot. Okay. So essentially we're looking at a nerve that starts in through like the lower part of the lower back and like tailbone area down through the glutes and then all the way down the leg into the foot. Mm. I'm picturing that the, the chart at like the doctor's office yeah. of, of the body and all of the, the lines going out. And... It's the real big one behind the leg. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> all right. And uh, you know, besides those like main branching off points, those are like the, the biggest branching off points, the ones that most people would know, but the uh, there are smaller innervations because the sciatic nerve, you know, controls many of the, the muscles of the behind the leg, hamstrings, some of the adductors, uh, m multiple different muscles, like so many. Um, and so radicular pain means it's pain that radiates throughout that path. Okay. So you could have a problem closer to the lower back, but have symptoms all the way down the leg into the foot, okay. which is kind of what people with sciatica describe. Yeah. Right. You've if you know somebody who've said they've had sciatica, um, the most common site of pain is usually in through the glutes and then down through the back of the leg. Um, depending on severity and multiple different factors, it could go all the way down to the foot, yeah. and it could also be associated with neurological symptoms like tingling and numbness, pins and needles, that type of thing. Um, yeah. So in a in addition to all that stuff, uh, we could also have symptoms that present that are very similar to sciatica. So, you know, I described the the radiating pain down the back of the leg. Sure. You could also get that with a strained muscle. You could also get that with so many other things, even like uh, specific conditions that uh, have a lower back contribution, not necessarily anything to do with the leg. So that's why it gets a bit, it gets a bit confusing when you're talking about sciatica because it's not necessarily a diagnosis. Okay. It's... A, a location-based descriptor of pain or uh, symptoms. Okay. So when someone says I have sciatica, it just means that somewhere along the path of the sciatic nerve is affected. Okay. 
Uh, it doesn't say what's affected. It doesn't say how it's affected. It doesn't say the causes or anything like that. It's just back of the leg, which is why it's it's one thing that I wanted to talk about because it's a really common thing. And so if you go on YouTube and you look up sciatic, uh, sciatica or uh, like treatments or things that you can do to reduce symptoms of sciatica, uh, there are a number of videos where it'll say, don't do this, you have to do this. This exercise is the best for sciatica. To reduce your symptoms, do this. And that's a bit of a problem because the symptoms can uh, be like exacerbated or lessened depending on many number of factors. Some people could have reductions in pain from bending forward. Some people could have reductions in pain from bending back and vice versa for exacerbation. Okay. So my problem with that is because if people look online and they see someone who they perceive to be like an authority figure in the field, maybe it's Maybe it's uh, some rehab professional from any number of different professions, chiro, physio, osteo, RMT, doesn't matter. And they say, this is the exercise to cure sciatica, and you do it, it doesn't work, and it makes it worse, mm. then you're going to catastrophize that. Yeah. You're going to say, well, it's obviously not just sciatica. It means something is really messed up down there. Sure. And like I said, sciatica is more like a location-based term, not necessarily describing what's going on. Gotcha. So the, the language gets a bit confusing. And, you know, I mentioned that uh, when I first started talking about this, why I'd say, like, I don't like using the term true sciatica and fake sciatica. You know, people would normally describe true sciatica as going all the way down to the foot with neurological symptoms and mostly appearing on one side rather than both. Okay. Um, fake sciatica would be just pain down the glutes into the knee, like in through the back of the leg. So you could say that's a hamstring strain or something like that. But the reason why I don't like dichotomizing true and fake is because if you know someone who said they've had sciatica, it's probably a very painful thing that they're going through. It's it's a, a term that they can use to identify how much pain they're actually in. Mm. Uh, and it's funny, when you were talking about bipolar disorder, you mentioned validating the person's experience, and I think that's a part of it. Yeah. If someone comes to me and says, um, I have sciatica, I'm gonna say, great, okay, let's get, like, let's work together to fix it. Or, uh, you know, reduce the symptoms and get you more tolerable and make you more robust and, you know, it sure. won't be an issue. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to say, well, is it true sciatica or is it fake sciatica? <laughs> Why not? <laughs> Same thing I do with bipolar disorder. Is it true bipolar disorder or fake bipolar disorder? Exactly, because you're essentially questioning the person's story in front of you and their interpretation of it would probably be something like, oh, so you're saying that the pain is, isn't real. Yes. Yeah. Which is step one of not validating. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, it's uh, it's interesting, and uh, you know, one thing that many people, uh, when they go to see a rehab professional, uh, don't realize about uh, pain and specifically radicular pain is that, you know, we could have symptoms somewhere in the body, but have it not at all be related to what could be the main contributor. And so if you think about the description of the sciatic nerve, like what I was talking about before, those nerve roots closer to the spine and like the tailbone area around that location, uh, there could be, now anything I'm about to say is a contributing factor. It's not the exact cause because you could have people with these exact same things I'm about to mention and not have it be an issue at all. Mm -hmm. So these are just small contributing factors in addition to lifestyle factors, uh, activity level, uh, psychological distress, uh, biopsychosocial anything sure. from those spheres can exacerbate anything going on um, but if there was a correlation it could be uh, due to 
heightened amount of inflammation close to the nerve root, could be damage to the nerve root, uh, could be damage uh, around the musculature around the nerve root, which could heighten like the, the perceived threat of the whole system around that area, which could send referral pain down. It's just an easy way for the body to make us aware that there's something going on. Uh, basically protect by pain is what that would be. Gotcha. Um, another thing, you could have a, uh, a disc herniation that is compressing a nerve in through the spine. But again, all these things, uh, you can have a disc herniation and have it not be painful. Yeah. So it's this is where it gets super complex for a lot of people, and it's why it's good to seek out care on an individual basis yeah. rather than look at uh, any potential causes or or fixes that people say online because it's not individualized. Yeah. And it can make you feel like things are a whole lot worse than what they actually are. Gotcha. Like the majority of things when it comes to musculoskeletal rehab is uh, increased sensitivity. You can have the origin, the origin of your pain... Um, well, at least one of the main contributors of your pain happened from like a tissue basis. Like if you roll and sprain your ankle, it's probably gonna be painful. Sure. But what about months from then when it's all healed? Like the ligaments are healed, like the muscles healed, everything's healed, but you still have pain. Mm. So it's, it's a lot more complex, even in those specific cases, okay. which is why I point out like, there's so many things that can go on to, uh, causing this or contributing to it and so many things that can take us out of it um but yeah those are the main things one more thing that uh that is common with sciatica is uh differential diagnoses and one thing that people will blame their sciatica on is a muscle called their piriformis so piriformis yes okay. so this is one that really grinds my gears, grinds my gears. <laughs> um so the piriformis is a muscle that's uh, basically deeper than the glutes. It's in the same area, like around the hip. Uh, it's mainly responsible for external rotation of the hip, um, but that's neither here nor there. Okay. So the reason why many people blame their sciatic like pain on this particular muscle is because there are s there's certain percentages of the population that can have the sciatic nerve run directly through the fibers of the muscle. Okay. Um, some of them can go over and some uh, population sizes can go under. Okay. Um, and so the thought in the past was that with the sciatic nerve running directly through the muscle, when it would contract or be used, it would compress the nerve, causing pain down the leg. Okay. 17% roughly of the population has that uh, physiology where, as it relates to the uh, sciatic nerve and going through the, the piriformis. But... Even in those cases, we don't have 17% of the population who are in pain from birth till death with sciatic nerve pain. Okay, which <laughs> I figure they would be if... If that was the case. That was the case, yeah. Exactly. So, you know, one of the biggest factors when it comes to managing sciatic uh, nerve pain uh, or any pain down the back of the leg, you can even insert this with almost any condition, but we'll talk about that on another day, Sure. Um, is appropriate load management. So if you're doing too much too soon, it's likely you will have some sort of response from the body that is negative, such as pain. It's the reason why if you are somebody who's never gone to the gym before and you go to the gym one day and you decide, I'm going to do deadlifts until a failure, and then you wake up the next day and you're in horrible pain, could you have damaged something? Maybe. Uh, could you not have? Yeah, that also could be the case. Yeah. But... It's this perceived threat 
of what you're going through. And so if you're somebody who has sciatic nerve pain, what I would do first is I would look at what you've done throughout the past week and see if there's any major changes in your routine. So let's say you had a pretty normal week at work, but on a couple days your boss asked you to uh, do a whole lot of physical stuff that you're not used to or you may have done it longer than what you're used to. That you know, that discrepancy in your normal acute to chronic workload that you've been adapted to is now disrupted, and so maybe you have a response. And this is where the other contributing factors come in. Could you have a predisposition to having pain down the back of the leg due to some physiological stuff? Okay. Maybe. maybe. So, But it's just the ratcheting up of the whole system's like alert system that could cause that to go down the leg, right? Um, so part of it is, it just goes back to that scale I talked about in a previous episode of, you know, are we on more of the side of calm shit down or build shit back up? Mm. And so if it's more acute, I tend to err on the side of calm stuff down. But the longer it goes on, like we talked about that uh, rolling of the ankle, if we're talking about like weeks after the incident, we're probably going to get closer to that build shit back up. So we got to start incorporating um, strengthening, uh, different range of motion exercises, getting you back to doing the things that you like to do that are physical, whether that's sport or otherwise. Yeah. Um, but uh, that's generally the way I approach sciatica. Can I jump in with a question? Sure. Uh, curious about, you know, well, where's nerve related to the nerve, uh, the sciatic nerve? What, what I find interesting whenever you discuss any rehab, Matt, is that, like, even when you were talking about uh, back pain and engaging your back builds up the strength of the muscles. And so I, I can picture that. I, that makes sense to me, that if you're not using your back, your muscles get weaker and, you know, it can cause issues. Right. Uh, what What is it about, let's say, introducing something like exercise or things like that is it the muscle muscles in your body helping out with the nerves? Like, I'm I don't know much about the anatomy uh, right. of a human being, so I guess I, I'm curious about that. Wrapping my head around what how that benefits, I guess. Okay, so when it comes to uh, kind of like a movement exercise based active approach to therapy. Uh, Again, I try to like incorporate this whole model of a holistic health, biopsychosocial approach and look just beyond the physiology because it's super easy to get hung up there, Uh, especially since a lot of the interventions that we have that are highly specific to doing stuff with the nerve or doing stuff with the muscle um, isn't really any better than general activity in most cases long term. Um, But that's again on on an individual basis. So I'll take you through a couple of examples of how I would approach it according to an individual. Sure. So if someone comes in and they say they have sciatic nerve, you know, it's going down the leg, classic signs and symptoms, um, and they are particularly fearful of activity, and they've been told, like, the sciatic nerve comes from your lower back, so it's likely something your back might be damaged or something's going on there, and then they're shown, like what a herniation looks like from like our classic 3D models, which I'm not a huge fan of using anymore. Um, They have this vision in their back of this like jelly donut popping out and like (laughs) everything going awry and like their spinal fluid is leaking out in their back and their glutes and then their nerves completely like messed up. Um, In those people, I tend to err highly on the side of specific activity to the lower back and the leg. 
So an example could be, uh, you know, exercises specific to the lower back extensions, flexions, like anything that gets lower back moving in a very small and controlled manner that okay. they can handle. A, a common thing could be like cat camels. So you're rounding your back and then you're extending your back uh, while you're on all fours so there's no weight bearing and then slowly progressing that up into uh, weight bearing activities. And that could go as, as far as barbell squats or barbell deadlifts, yeah. but it's just a progression to those movements. And the reason why I keep it highly specific is because if someone has a fear of fragility into their back i need to teach them that their back is resilient mm-hmm. so that's the case where i would be highly specific with my movements to get people moving those joints and like muscles and areas that are affected but it's not just because of the physiology because we know specific versus general long term doesn't really matter okay. but for that individual it does and so it's not necessarily the physiology that would determine how i would choose exercise selection for that person it would be their psychology okay and so that's where I would tend to go with that. But on the other hand, yeah. if we had someone come in with the same exact signs and symptoms, exact same person, but the mentality is different in that I don't care what I do to get moving. I just need to feel better. I'd gotcha. be like, okay, we're going general. We're going to do the thing that you love and we're going to modify that. Yeah. So we're going to find out what is exacerbating and what is calming. And we're going to try and limit the amount of exacerbation in the short term and take full advantage of the things that alleviate it and then slowly change that ratio. So again, the same kind of mindset, you're challenging their what, what's painful, mm-hmm. but in a slow and controlled manner so that you can get back to doing what you love the way you used to do it. Gotcha. I'm not a, not a fan at all of uh, telling people they need to avoid specific positions because they're inherently bad because everyone on the planet has gone through it multiple different positions throughout many times of their life and you know most of them are fine uh, unless you're unprepared for it and again it goes back to have you adequately prepared the area acute to chronic workload what have you adapted to gotcha yeah that makes sense yeah so it's not necessarily a physiological not solely a physiological reason why i choose activity it's uh, everything together you're not working out the nerves (laughs) yeah although there are some techniques that say they can bias um, certain nerves. So a a technique is called nerve glides. And so the classic thought on this is you're moving uh, some aspect of the spine in addition to the limb that's affected. And so you're bringing one end through... uh, It's interesting trying to describe this because I usually just show people. (laughs) But but basically, you're creating tension in the nerve uh, distally to the spine while creating slack... uh, Proximally, so local to the spine, and then you're reversing it. So when you do that movement and you repeat it over and over, it creates like this movement that biases the nerve. Um, as far as whether that actually targets the nerve or it just is range of motion for the entire body that gets you more comfortable with movement, I think that's up for debate. Yeah, that's pretty much up for debate um, because we all know when we're doing range of motion, we're not just moving nerves, we're moving joints, muscles, yeah. blood vessels, like. A connective tissue shebang. yeah and honestly it's engaging your mind too because even if it's something small like that because those are relatively small non-weight-bearing movements um there's still something to be said for moving a painful limb in a non-painful way regardless of what you're doing gotcha yeah okay interesting yeah i learned lots Matt. me too <laughs> it's been fun but i think this is about it for this episode um so yeah, we talked about bipolar disorder, uh, some common ways it's diagnosed, stuff like that, uh, some factors affecting uh, sciatica, and uh, you know, take-home points, Joel, for yeah, take home. Take, well, I guess some take-home points would be um, 
just be open-minded, but also be kind to yourself. You know, thinking about that the stigma and things that can be attached to well anything. You know, even uh, sciatica. Right. You know, there, there's stigma attached to that too. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you talk mostly about almost the self-stigmatizing, where you say, "Oh, I shouldn't do this or I shouldn't do that because of the pain," but. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, certainly in a way that people, I, get, I would imagine, view you differently if you tell them that you have sciatica. Or yeah, true sciatica or false or sciatica. Or false sciatica, exactly, right? <laughs> and so it's just like bipolar disorder. Um, bipolar disorder, the, the stigma that comes with even searching out a diagnosis, mm-hmm. right? And what does it mean to have that label slapped on you? Right. Is it going to be validating for you? Is it going to be something difficult to overcome? Think about that, you know, before you kind of make a decision to speak to a, a doctor or psychiatrist or somebody who would diagnose. Um, and then, you know, follow your heart. Follow your dreams. <laughs> if you really truly think that that's going to be beneficial for you, absolutely. Yeah. Explore it. Have a chat with somebody. Um, and, you know, I, I hope that at least some of these descriptors... Mm-hmm even for both of us, man, I think, kind of help you maybe come to terms or think about what it might mean for you. Right. And how you can, um, you know, take that knowledge and, and apply it and say, okay, am I going through something like this? Is somebody I know going through something like this? Mm-hmm. And how can I help in, in either situation? Yeah. And I think I'd have very similar advice in that, like, you know, if you're in pain, seek treatment. Yeah. And, you know, if you have pain down the back of the leg and it's excruciating, don't, like, despite what we were talking about today, uh, don't be shy about saying, you know what, I have sciatica. Because, yeah. you know what, immediately if uh, the clinician is a rehab professional, they know what you're talking about. Yeah. They know, okay, you have pain down the back of your leg at some somewhere. Sure. Whether, like, one thing's affected or another, doesn't matter you're telling them that you're in pain and it's in the back of the leg and it's location-based. So that's enough to go off of it first. And then the professional will do an, an assessment, figure out what's going on, and give you uh, a plan, hopefully, to get you back on your feet. And, you know, one thing that I I mentioned when I was talking about sciatica was, you know, the, the piriformis syndrome and why that grinded my gears. And, you know, the, what it always comes back to is I don't like blaming our bodies for things. Gotcha. I don't like blaming tissues for things because our tissues are just tissues. Yeah. They don't have minds of their own saying, screw this guy, I'm going <laughs> to hurt him, right? <laughs> and having those uh, negative mindsets, uh, having a negative mindset about a particular region of your body is likely to increase that threat response. Yeah. And this is something I'll probably talk about in a future episode, but it's like, this is getting a bit too far into like the neurological side of things, but we have certain molecular patterns that are picked up by toll-like receptors in our body throughout the nervous system. And one of those is uh, behavior and cognitive associated molecular patterns, okay. uh, which is just, uh, you think something, it creates an action potential, and then that's a thought. Gotcha. And if you have those constantly flowing in you, or throughout you uh, about a particular region of the body 
you're probably going to experience something in that area that's not great if you have that mindset. It's sure. uh, that makes sense. Yeah, it's just uh, try to foster try to foster wow a uh, bit more wellness wellness <laughs> throughout your body, including those areas that are painful. Uh, that's where mindfulness comes in. Mm, we love some mindfulness here. No, love it. Loves it. Sick. All right, folks. Thanks for listening. And Hope take you care. Something. Absolutely. And take care. Thank you.